Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. New guy, new guy, all right. (laughs) Good morning, Plainfield Christian Church. It's an honor to be here with you today. And since Luke gave me a little love, I thought I'd give him a little bit of love too. So a couple years ago, King Zoe was doing an outreach event and Luke came over with his family. And uh, I didn't know Luke, I'd never met Luke, but he was already here on staff at Plainfield. In fact, I didn't even know his name, I didn't know his family heritage, I didn't know anything. And uh, we had had some chaos in that event as things were blowing up, weather was bad, people came too quickly, and we were moving things around to try to accommodate that. So since I wasn't a part of that team, I was just going around and hobnobbing, right? I was just, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies, the whole nine yards, and I see a guy wearing a Colorado t-shirt. I lived in Colorado 10 years before I came to Indiana, so I thought, here's a guy I could connect with. I didn't recognize him. And I go up and it turns out to be Luke Proctor. He goes online later in order to email the the lead pastor at Kingsway and say, what a great job you're doing training your volunteers and and just making them so friendly. And out of this response, uh, a friendship was developed. And uh, I have dearly come to love Luke. And here's the thing I'm super, super thankful for for Plainfield is that you have followed a long-term godly legacy in Steve White with what I hope will be another long-term, but also a very godly legacy in Luke Proctor. And so thank you to Steve and thank you to Luke and thank you to God for bringing both these men to this community, right? Amen, amen. So I wish I could go on for another half hour about Luke, but then we wouldn't be talking about the thing we really need to talk about today, which is Jesus. So I wanna jump in. I just wanna show you real quick because it will be part of my story today. This is my amazing family. This came from a family vacation about a year ago. Uh, my wife and I, are, it's a little washed out here, I get it, but uh, we're all wearing white, right? So it's a thing to do. And uh, so my oldest, Matthias, my youngest, Nehemiah, and my middle, Levi, and this is my lovely wife, Rachel. And uh, we were in Myrtle Beach. And um, this reason I show you this picture is because when we moved here, we only had one of the three, and he was four months old. That was 14 years ago um, that I came here with my oldest, Matthias. And it was amazing, um, except for up to that season, we weren't able to have kids. The one kid we did have, we lost. And, uh, and then God decided to change that story when we came here. And when he did, he quickly gave us three kids. And so at one point, we had all three of these kids five years and under. And uh, you understand what that's like, right, brother? And uh, it adds just a whole nother level of stress to life. And then at that same season, um, our church went through a difficult time. And not only that, but at the same time, my mom dealt with her second bout of cancer. And when the doctors told her as she was going into the treatment, here are the kind of things that you can expect from this treatment. And and while it's unlikely that all of these will happen, probably one of them will, as it would turn out, literally all of those things happened. To the point where my mom spent significant time in emergency rooms seeing specialists upon specialists upon specialists. And so while my church was going through a hard season and and we were raising five kids and we were having some unique challenges there. I also was driving back to Northeast Ohio to visit my mom. And uh, I found that the four C's of life, kids, cancer, church, and then eventually counseling can happen to anybody. And yes, I get that kids starts with a K. Anyway, um, so those of you who don't know my humor yet, it'll catch up to you by the end of this. Maybe, maybe. So I say that because uh, I, I found in ministry that life can happen to anybody. So have you ever... Notice that walking with Jesus is harder than you ever thought. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. In this room, particularly for Plainfield today, I realize there's three services. 
There's probably more people in here who've been walking with Jesus for more time than any of the other services. You've been doing this a long time. Did it ever dawn on you at any point like, wow, this, this wasn't the sunshine and roses that I thought it might be? I do wonder sometimes, I'm being honest, and I think some of you will really appreciate that I say this, but I do sometimes wonder if, if this generation, of which I will call myself a part, um, has become soft in some ways. Some of you who grew up in harder times, in a harder America, in a different America, maybe you think things were really easier now. But I look around and it seems like things can be difficult at times. And that leads us right into where we are today because what we find is where we picked up last week, Morgan did a great job, and where we're going to pick up partly where he left off and just jump right into the text today. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open it. If not, everything that I'm going through will be here on the screen for you. In Mark chapter 6 is where we're going to pick up. Now, before we get to this first passage in verse 30, I'm going to remind you where we went. So right before this happened, Jesus gathers together the disciples and he sends them out with his power and his authority. And they go out and they do the things they've seen Jesus do. They're healing people and they're casting out demons. And it's a really cool thing, right? So now they've gathered back together and this is a great teaching moment. Jesus gathered them like, tell me all about it. And you can imagine the elation, the excitement. Oh, we cast out demons and I healed this guy. And remember, Jesus said, people are going to prepare for you. Like, oh, I stayed in this amazing house and they had this great food and all of the stories. So it says here, the, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. This is a mountain moment kind of moment. Like, yes. Now, if you don't know this, many of the early disciples and the apostles, they had in their head that Jesus was going to be a king, an earthly king. He was going to set up a kingdom. He was going to overthrow Rome. He was going to set the captives free, specifically the Jews. This is what he was going to do, and his kingdom would never end. This is still the prevalent thought among even many Orthodox Jews today. And they're waiting for the Messiah because it didn't happen the way they expected it to happen. And the, the apostles, the disciples, they are working through this themselves. So in part, you can see and put yourself in their shoes. And, ah, I'm so excited. I'm going to sit on his right. I'm going to sit on his left. I have his power, his authority. Isn't this great? And then the next verse comes, verse 31. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read my Bible because, you know, it's, I get paid to be good, Right? Um, many, 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 like I joke with my elders all the time. I get paid to be good. You guys are good for nothing. And <laughs> all right, you're catching it. You're getting me now. Okay. Okay. They don't think it's as funny as I do. Uh, but, but you realize, you realize quickly how great the need can be at times, right? And when I read my Bible, sometimes I come across passages like this and I just, I just go right to the next one and I don't even stop to think about it. Part of the reason I'm up here today is not just because I'm friends with Luke, but last fall I had a massive surgery. And Luke is one of a few guys that I reached out to when I knew that it was coming. It was right before Thanksgiving, then right before Christmas, and I was going to be out for six weeks in a row. And I texted Luke and some other said, look, if I go forward with this surgery, is there any chance you could help me fill the pulpit? Luke said, brother, if you need me, I'm there. So over the next few days I wrestled with it. I decided. I texted Luke. He said, yes. Here's what I didn't know. My brother literally was traveling overseas to work on his graduate degree. He was writing his sermon on an airplane only to come back depleted and serve my church. When I found that out, I was humbled even more at Luke. I could not believe, I could not believe his willingness to sacrifice and to serve. And that's kind of the situation that we're in. Do you ever feel tired after you travel? Do you ever feel like you need a vacation from your vacation, right? 
Well, this is the disciples times 12. We'll just pick a good biblical number. They go out. They're serving. They're casting out demons. They're traveling. They're exhausted. They're not sleeping at home in their bed. They're working all day long. They're doing the things that Jesus did. But they come back, and they're so excited, like, yes, yes, this is great. And maybe we get a break, and they don't get a break. In fact, people see them, and all of a sudden, they start coming in droves, and they're stuck trying to do more good. So there's just a principle I want to anchor to your soul, and many of you probably already know this, but if you say yes to walking with Jesus, you will get called to sacrifice yourself to meet others' needs. And if you can look back over your faith, say the last year or 10 years or whatever it is, and you can't point to moments in time where you have had to sacrifice your time or your talents or your treasure for Jesus, man, there's, there's just a good chance you actually never got the heart of your father. And the great news with Jesus is it's never too late. So my hope in all of this is, is that we'll just look at what Jesus is up to and then try to join him in it. But here are the disciples worn out. They're tired. They're weary. What do we do now? Look at the second part of verse 31 if you have your Bible open. I'm in the NIV. I don't know what you're in there, but that's what we got up here. So Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I love that. I love that because it tells me that, remember when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? So that whenever ministry doesn't feel easy or doesn't feel light, whenever your service in your life doesn't feel easy and it doesn't feel light, the word from Jesus is, I see you, I get it, I notice, come away with me. And it says in the next verse, 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. I love that. This week I was doing a, uh, my, my Bible study with this young couples that my wife and I lead. And uh, we were talking through, we're in the book of Luke at Kingsway. You guys are the book of Mark. I thought that was super cool. A lot of this is overlapping. And uh, as we're studying the book of Luke, they're asking me questions. Well, I got to go to Israel for the first time ever last year. And uh, so I got to see things. And I'll just tell you, if you've never visited the Holy Lands, it's not that you need to go because you have Google and Google Earth, and it is really helpful because you can get a visual on what things look like even though you're not standing there. And if you would just do this later, if you use the Internet much, I highly recommend Googling Sea of Galilee. Just look up Sea of Galilee. You could pick any place there. You could put it in Peter's house. They think they have a location where maybe Peter's house was. At least we know the town, right, in Capernaum. You could look up Magdala. You could pick up uh, any of these areas. And you get a feel for what this environment, what we're experiencing, would be like. So if you're on one side of this, basically it's like a big lake. We call it a sea, but that's what you could picture. You're on one side of the sea. You could see to the other side of the sea. That's a confusing phrase. You can see over there, and you can imagine way back in the day, outside of the commercialism of today, just a small group or community of people, and then there'd be another community not too far away and another one not too far away. And over on the other side of that sea, you can see another community not too far away. And Jesus knows there's not a lot of places that he can go and not be seen or found, so they're going to get in a boat so they can be alone and be rested and be restored. And what I want you to walk away from with that is if you say yes to walking with Jesus, he will call you away from serving to be restored by him. It's going to happen. So after we came to that hard season over at Kingsway, roughly a handful or so years ago, Kingsway came to me and said, we want you to take a sabbatical. And I'll never forget, there were a lot of things on that sabbatical that I could tell stories about and I do at Kingsway. 
But I remember one particular moment. I believe it was the first week. It might have been the second week of my sabbatical. My wife just looked at me and she said, I'm going to go upstairs and give our three littles uh, the bath, a bath. And I just want you to do whatever you need to do. Do whatever you want to do. And that was such a gift for my wife. So she goes upstairs. And I remember I'm sitting on the floor because I was playing with our kids. And I'm sitting on the floor and I didn't have a plan for what to do. That was one of the hardest things. Like, you know, a sabbatical. I was like, what am I going to do? I'm just going to rest. I don't know how to do that. And so I'm sitting on the floor, and I grabbed my phone, and uh, I just started going to my podcast. And I grabbed a podcast by another gentleman named Tim Keller. Tim Keller was a preacher up in New York. And I, don't, I can't tell you the name of the sermon. I can't tell you the text exactly that he used. And I can't tell you the name, like, why I chose it. I just remember I picked it. And what happened in that moment was Jesus reached down from heaven, and he met me in my family room floor. And here was the story that Tim Keller was preaching out of as an illustration for his message that day. He was talking in, I believe it's 1 Kings 18, I believe it is, uh, the prophet Elijah has just gone toe-to-toe with 450 prophets of Baal. If you don't know the story, I don't have time to tell the whole thing, but basically he whoops them. And right after that, a decree is put out for his life. Now, Elijah has just had the greatest moment of ministry success, much like the disciples just had as well. And he's feeling exhausted. And in his exhaustion, he's feeling scared. This decree has been put out. What's funny is we read this and we think to ourselves, Elijah, you're crazy. I mean, you just literally took all of these guys out. You saw a miracle from God. What is wrong with you? But see, that same voice that makes you feel that for him is the same voice that sometimes makes you feel that for you. We have an enemy and his name is called the accuser. We learn in Revelation 12 that he stands before the Father accusing the saints day and night. Except that in Christ, he has no place anymore. He's been cast down. He's raging mad about it. He's not a happy camper. But you ever hear that voice in your head? It's like, you're not good enough. You're not measuring up. You're not doing enough. God says, God would, God would. See, that's how I felt in that season. Like, no matter what I did, it was never enough. It was never enough. It was never enough. But if you read the story, what happens next for Elijah is uh, he just falls asleep. He's so worn out, he just takes a nap. And what I would expect in that season of my life was for God to come down and say, now get up and get to it. You've got stuff to do. Things need fixed. People need served. Don't you know? Instead, what it says is an angel of the Lord came and made him some bread and brought him some water. And then he woke up, Elijah, said, you need to eat. You need to drink. You have a long journey ahead of you. And Elijah woke up and he ate and he drank. And then he journeyed for 40 days and 40 nights. And I sat there on my family floor and I just started weeping. Because it was as if the hand of Jesus reached down and said, sometimes life gets hard. Sometimes life gets weary. And sometimes it's our decisions. Sometimes it's things we wish we could do different. Sometimes it's things that just happen. And nobody's fault, it just happened. And sometimes other people have done things to us. And that's the world we live in. But our Father in heaven isn't throwing down condemnation and judgment. Our Father in heaven is just saying, I love you. I see you. I want to feed you. Come away with me. And we see this in Jesus in Mark chapter 6 as he's trying to encourage the disciples. Look, I, I long for you to just come away with me on a boat and be restored. But notice what happens next. Verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognized them. And ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Just 
when they were exhausted and depleted and getting a break from serving Jesus, or serving for Jesus, not getting to be with Jesus, and here it is again. Again, if you just go look on the internet at some pictures of the Sea of Galilee, you'd get a feel for it. This isn't that hard to imagine. You're on one side of the lake, you see a boat going on the other side of the lake, you know Jesus and the disciples got in a boat. Well, then let's just go to the other side of the lake where the boat is. We want to see more magic tricks or whatever it is people were interested in. And so there's just never a break. All of you who've ever been parents, you know exactly what this is like from that regard, right? You wake up early in the morning, you're going to spend some time with Jesus, and sure enough, those little ones wake up with you. It is amazing to me, the timing of all of that. But there's a word I want to highlight for you in this particular part of the text, and it's this word here, compassion. Compassion. I don't know that we fully have our heads wrapped around what this word means and why it's important. In the Greek, the word compassion here, uh, you should probably ask Luke or perhaps his dad exactly how to pronounce this. I am definitely not a Greek scholar, but esplagnetsasthene. Was that close? Was that even in the... Okay. You're like, yeah, all right. Ask Luke later. He'll correct me next week. All right. So the word compassion here literally comes from the root word splagna, splagna. It means to be moved in the inward parts. Now, just to give context for that, this word comes from that feeling you have when you haven't eaten in a while. Do you know what that feels like? I'll be able to joke in a different way at the 1045 service, right? The way that some of you are feeling as the sermon just continues on right now and you're, you're dying for lunch to finally come. But imagine you live in a culture where you don't have a lot of resources. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around this because when we go home, no matter how much wealth we have, we have food in our pantry and food in our fridge. So we're not really worried if a massive snowstorm were to show up tomorrow and we were to be locked in our homes for a couple days, we aren't too stressed about it. Somebody would either deliver us food or, worst case scenario, we'd eat that can of something in our cabinet that we keep putting off going, eh, I don't know that I want that today. That is not the culture we are talking about back then. They weren't always sure where their next meal is coming from. When the disciples are up all night and they don't catch a fish, it creates a trickle-down effect of a problem. And so what they did is they had a word in their language to describe what it felt like when you had a pang from something you desired but couldn't have met. And that's the word splagna. So what they did is they correlated a word to a feeling. And so then what would happen is they could look out at other people who were hurting or aching or struggling or suffering, and they could say in their minds, man, I know what it feels like to ache. I know what it feels like to want. I know what it feels like to desire and not have my desires met. And they described that feeling as splagna. And Jesus looks out at this crowd, and he sees them. And it's not that they're physically hungry. <laughs> not yet. We'll get there. It's that they're aching for a savior. They're longing to be set free. The struggles and the difficulties of this world are weighing them down. And Jesus, though tired and weary, though Jesus trying to get away with his disciples, though Jesus trying to do something spiritual, the need is too great for him to close his eyes and act like it doesn't actually exist. And I guess the takeaway for us would be, if you say yes to walking with Jesus, your heart will ache for the things that break the heart of God. And yes, I did steal that from a country song. You will have an achy, breaky heart <laughs> for Jesus. But see, here's the thing. Um, the longer you're a Christian, the easier it is to lose this. 
I don't know how long you've been doing this. I'm 46. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad is an elder at the church I grew up in. He has been for many years. I came to faith and got baptized when I was 12 years old. I had a wandering period in my teen years. I came back and I've been walking mostly <laughs> with the Lord since that time. But I'll tell you this, the longer I've been doing it, the easier it is to forget what it feels like to have that wandering season. And if you could take yourself back for just a moment and put yourself in your previous shoes and try to remember the sorrow, the hopelessness, the sadness, the despair that you felt in that place. To try to remember, you, you cried out for answers and you couldn't find them. You tried everything. And nowadays, and if you're newer to this thing called faith, then you'll understand this. Nowadays, people just go on the internet and they go, how do I fix this? How do I fix my marriage? How do I fix this thing in my body? And then the internet spits back at you whatever the internet wants and you read it. And it many times feels even more hopeless. And Jesus is looking at a people just like that and his heart breaks for them. And he thinks to himself, I have to solve this problem. I can't just ignore it. I can't just wait for somebody else. I have to do something about it. It starts teaching them many things. I'm not even sure when the disciples ate in this process yet. Did they have some fish on the boat? I, don't, I mean, we don't get all the details, right? But they're still tired. They're still weary. And so we see this tension as they go from serving to needing rest and Jesus recognizing it to serving. And, and it's just kind of this tension back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's what you will find if you walk with Jesus as well. You will find this tension that is not easily solved, is not easily resolved, but I encourage you to walk in that tension with Jesus and let him direct your steps. Come back to Mark 6 with me, verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Just send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside of villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, many of you know where the story is going. You're already well aware of it. So I want to pause. We'll talk about fishes and loaves and all the things in just a moment. I want to pause and not miss, because, again, it's so easy. Oh, yeah, I know that story. I know that story. I taught that with flannel graphs in Sunday school, right? Uh, I remember that. I remember that. I just want you to slow down for a minute and get some of these pieces. So Jesus is teaching. He's teaching. He's teaching. The disciples come to him. Look, it's really late. They're probably tired, too. There's probably a little bit wrapped up in that, right? Send them away to get something to eat. There isn't enough food for all these people. We know from later in the text, right, there's 5,000 men. That doesn't include women and children. Some have estimated between 8 and 15. I know it's a huge number. It's like a preacher count, right? How many people were there today? Oh, between 8 and 15,000 people. There were a lot of people there that day. We don't know exactly how many people, but thousands and thousands of people. The disciples certainly don't have that kind of money, or at least food on them. Maybe, maybe they have that kind of money. It'd probably be all that they needed. If you say yes to walking with Jesus, you will often find that you lack enough resources. You lack enough resources to do everything that you wanted to do. See, I want you to think about this for a minute. What if these moments in your life where you see a need, you feel for it, you're compassionate for it, and then you want to do something about it, but you don't actually have all the things that you want or need to get them done. What if all of that was actually the hand of God in your life so that he could do whatever it is he plans to do next? Think about this in the Bible for a minute. Go back to Israel in the Old Testament. So if you're newer to this thing called faith, there may be some of these stories you don't know, and that's okay. You'll get to learn them over time. Don't feel anxious about that at all. So let's just say you go back to Israel, right? And they're wandering around in the desert. They just got set free from being slaves. And they, God takes them into the desert, and quickly they find that they're thirsty. And we learn that this is all a test from God. 
And they grumble against the Lord, and the Lord ends up giving them water, but he uses it as a lesson to teach them he has the ability to meet all their needs. They would later come back to the same kind of conversation, and they would not learn the lesson. But this is not new. What about Peter and John walking on their way to the temple, and there's a lame man there, right? And they look at him, and they go, I don't have any money to give you. However, I do have something I can give you. And what we see in Peter and John in that moment is that they are understanding now a walk with Jesus means there are times that I will be resourceless. I won't have enough time. I won't have enough money. I won't have enough energy. But Jesus is going to ask me to give more, to do more. And I'm going to draw from a deeper place, a place that my flesh can't come up with, a place that my energy drink can't create, a place that all the healthy diets or exercise can't manufacture. I'm going to reach to a place that has to be from the Spirit connected to him and I'm going to draw from that place and I'm going to give it away to others because that's exactly what is about to happen but he answered them verse 37 you give them something to eat I want you to let that sink in for a second <laughs> the disciples come to him Jesus we, there's all these people it's late in the day they're hungry <laughs> we're hungry Send them away now so they can go to the surrounding towns. Let them get some food. And Jesus just looks at them, you give them something to eat. So we only have a few choices here, right? Either Jesus doesn't really understand the problem. I really don't like that solution. I think that creates a whole lot of other problems about Jesus that do not add up to the scriptures. Jesus clearly understands the problem. He clearly understands the solution. And in case you're not sure, in the same story, in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 6, it says this. He asked this only to test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So this whole, you give them something to eat, this whole, what resources do we have, all of it is a what? Say it with me. Did you know that God will test us? The problem with tests and temptations is they often feel alike. But we know that God can't tempt us because he's not tempted by evil, James says. So therefore, he can't tempt us with evil. But God can test us. The Israelites with the water, it's a test. This is a test. Now, you will often find, and this is a whole other sermon for another day. In fact, I just preached on it at Kingsway a couple weeks ago. But in our tests, sometimes our adversary, our enemy, the Satan, he comes along in our tests and makes, turns it into a temptation. But this moment is a test. A test for what? What is the test? Jesus, they're hungry. It's late. Send them away to feed them. What do you have? What's the test? If Jesus wants to perform a miracle, it doesn't need to be called a test. But I want to remind you of something we talked about last week. Mark chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, it said this. Remember, Jesus sent out the 12, and he said, here's your instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. You remember that. It was just earlier in the same chapter. So put the pieces together, because sometimes when you're reading your Bible, you have to remember the stuff that you just read the day before, the moment before, the Sunday before, and put it together like a puzzle piece, right? And so when you're doing that at this moment, remember, the disciples sent them out in pairs and said, take nothing with you. Y'all going to be stinky. Y'all going to be hungry. But I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your needs. And they just came back and told him all about the ways that God met all their needs. He, they, they, we don't have all those stories, but well, this person's over here. They healed somebody. This person was over here. They didn't have a place to stay. Then at the last moment, somebody came up and gave them a room for the night. This person didn't have a meal. And they went maybe 12 or, or 24 hours. And all of a sudden, somebody showed up and said, I got your back, bro. That was in the Greek. That's how it sounded. And however it is that they said it, 
They had these stories of God's provision and God showing off. And Jesus, I am convinced, Jesus is trying to remind them of this. Don't you remember? Aren't you getting it? Isn't it sinking in? There's no moment in time where I am resourceless. I have everything you need for life and godliness, Peter would later write. Have we lost faith in that Jesus? There's a guy named George Mueller. He's a hero of the faith. And George... um, among many things that he did for God's kingdom, he often cared for orphans. And he kept a journal on a regular basis, just prayers, answered prayers, scriptures God was stirring in him. And one particular moment he writes about, he woke up, the kids were all dressed and sitting, uh, or ready to go, and, and they had no food. 300 kids. That's a lot of goldfish crackers. And he told the lady in charge, he said, I want you to get the kids. I want you to put them in the cafeteria, and I want you to have them seated and ready to eat. George prayed, but he already knew that God had a solution to his problem, so he just prayed and asked God to take care of it. Soon after, there was a knock at the door. Sure enough, it was a baker, and he said, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was just impressed that you guys We're going to need bread today. So I baked a whole bunch of bread. And George just smiled, sent him on in, said, take the bread in. The kids are sitting and waiting. Next thing you know, there's a knock at the door. It was a milkman. He just happened to be going past the orphanage when his truck broke down. And the milk would have spoiled if it had just sat in the truck. So he came up to the door and said, look, all this milk is just going to go bad. Do you think the kids could use it? George just smiled and said, yes, we'd be happy to help you use all of that milk. And see, I think sometimes we hear stories like this and we think they're for other people in other places and other times. These are for the disciples 2,000 years ago. George Mueller was it 2,000 years ago. I should have looked up exactly when that is, but I know it was in the last couple hundred years. But it's not just George Mueller. It's not just Peter and John. It's us. I believe that Jesus wants us to have a bigger view of who he is and that he is alive and seated on his throne. Do you believe that? This isn't past tense. Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead, and he's up in heaven and waiting for us to catch up to him. He died on a cross, he rose from the dead, and he's reigning and ruling from heaven through his church. So church, even though you are my church, with a passionate plea, where is God calling you to intersect with the needs of this world Where is it that you feel like you don't have enough? Because that's probably the place God's calling you to. If you can handle it with your own money, if you can handle it with your own time, if you can handle it with your own flesh, you don't need God to be a part of it. It's probably not big enough. You should probably be at a point where you're constantly pressured and stressed to lean into God, to find him doing all the things that need to be done. Because if you say yes to walking with Jesus... You will often find you lack enough resources, and you will find that God loves to meet that need. Which is how we find ourselves, back with some fishes and some loaves. And the way that this goes, right, what do we have? Well, we got five fish and two loaves of bread. Five loaves and two fish of bread. Five fish and two loaves of bread. I should have wrote that down. (laughs) And notice this, this is powerful. 
So Jesus looks up to heaven and he says, thank you, Father. I know that you always hear me, right? And he breaks the bread. What is it like to pray with that kind of confidence? I think sometimes when we pray, we forget that God has already told us that in the name of Jesus, he's already tuned into our prayers. He's already listening. He already wants to partner with us. You're not alone. You're not alone. What is it like to pray with the confidence of, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for always hearing me. Thank you, God, for this bread. Thank you, God, that you want to take care of this need. Thank you, God, for giving me the compassion to do this. Thank you, God, for not shrinking back, not being afraid, not running away. Thank you, God, for giving me the courage to step into it, to run into it. I know it's hard and it's messy and it's terrifying and it's scary. I know it is. But thank you, God, that you've put me here for such a time as this. Thank you, God, for that. And then to be inspired by that and to move by that and to partner with God in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth and not waiting for someone else to do it. But saying, I can do it. I can be a part of the solution. And I know. I know what goes through our mind. Not me. I don't know enough. Not me. I'm too old. Not me. I'm not educated enough. Not me. I don't understand all the details of doctrine or theology like Luke does. Not me. I don't speak as good. Not me. Do you know that like every hero of the faith has their not me moment? Like every hero of the faith. Moses tried to argue with God. I don't speak no good. I can't do it. God said, go anyway. I'm going with you. Like Abraham. God said, Abraham, I want you to go alone. He's like, well, I'll go mostly alone. I'll just take, you know, my my nephew with me. David, right? He's just a boy. Who anoints a boy as a king? Oh, he wasn't ready yet. He'd spent a lot of time in caves. My point is, God loves to take the weak and make it strong. So wherever it is you think you're weak and you aren't good enough and you don't measure up, you don't have enough, you don't know enough, you're not experienced enough, but yet you take that place and you have compassion for a deep hurt and longing and pain, step into it. Because the downside, as I started to say earlier, is if you don't, you'll just become judgmental of others who are hurting. That's what happens. We either feel compassion for those who are hurting or we feel judgment and condemnation for those who are hurting. You ever find yourself watching the news and thinking to yourself, well, That's what's wrong with the world is those people. Instead of, you know what's wrong with the world is sin. And sin lives on all people. Whether they're Republicans or Democrats. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in Plainfield. I say that at Kingsway. Excuse me. I didn't mean to step on any toes if I did. (laughs) Did you ever notice that there's sinners on both sides? There's sinners who work in blue-collar jobs and white-collar jobs. There's sinners who watch Fox News and there's sinners who watch CNN. There's sinners in my household, my wife and kids, I'm telling you, every single one of them. Come on, help me out a little bit here. She might come to the last service, so I can get away with it for two. But what's wrong with this world is sin. And the solution to this world is Jesus. So look at after this story where Jesus feeds everybody, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to what? To pray. Isn't it amazing in just, I don't know, 15 verses, 16 verses, that we can see this constant tension between serving and restoration, serving and restoration, serving and restoration. Because that's the tension you're going to live in. I want you to think of this like a rubber band for a minute. 
If I were to bring a rubber band up here and just hold it with one hand, let's call that hand serving, what good is that rubber band? It would just dangle from my hand. But if you were to take that same rubber band and, 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 and pull on it, then it has purpose and it has meaning. And this is how your life will feel when you walk with Jesus. There will be times he will call you out and call you to give more and do more, and you will feel stretched. But that stretching is only as good as the counterbalance of your time with Jesus, your time with the Father. Even Jesus knew, I need to go get away and be restored. I need to hear from my Father so I can come down and start to pour out into others again. I like to use this analogy at Kingsway with, uh, with the fathers and the men in my church, but really it applies to everybody. I want you to think of yourself as a, as a multi-plug. You know those things you plug into the wall outlet and then they've got multiple slots that you can plug into? That's you with your father. So the more that you plug into your father, then you have energy and life running through you and others can come and plug into you and they can get from you what they need to do what they need to do in the world. And if you disconnect, you hit that off button or you pull it from the wall, that thing is worthless. It'll just die. It has no power, no life to give away. But if it stays plugged in, whether things are plugging in and all the slots are full or whether they're unplugged, there's life flowing through that. And that's the tension that we see consistently in Mark chapter 6. Come away with me so I can restore you. Come away with me so I can pour into you. Come away with me so that you can pray. Come away with me. Come away with me. Wait, there's a need. There's a need. Serve, serve, serve. So here's where I know this is going to land. It's going to land in a lot of different places. Some of you are the kind of people that if, if Plainfield had ever stood up and said, hey, guys, we need some servants in our kids' ministry, some of you would be the first to raise your hand because you're the first to always raise your hand. And you're the kind of person that Jesus might say, would you just put your hand down and, and go take a nap? Would you just take a break for a minute and rest? Some of you, though, you hear that need, and what goes through your mind is the same anxiety. It's like, I don't know that I can do it. And you might hear the voice of Jesus saying, well, what do you have? You got any fish and loaves? I can multiply that. And for you, fish and loaves might be something like, I don't know enough, but I, I know that I love Jesus, and I know that Jesus loves me. And it's the church's job to train you up. It, it might be a lack of resources in another way. Like, I have this need. I want to I see orphans get fed, right? And you're going, but I don't have enough money to do it. But what if God put that desire in your heart for something else? What if it's to partner with an organization or launch one yourself? I don't know exactly how to solve it for you, but I don't want you to not run away from the tension of a conversation with your father just like Jesus does so that he can speak into you and tell you what it is he wants you to do with your life. Because if you say yes to walking with Jesus, you are saying yes to a radical adventure. A radical adventure. It's fun and exhilarating and exhausting and depleting all the same. Oh, but there's no adventure I'd rather be on than this one. Last year... Um, my dad, who I told you, he serves as an elder in our home church. In addition to that, he serves on the board of a place called the Canton Christian Home in Canton, Ohio. It's a, it's a retirement home. And that home has just been going through it. They've had significant turnover. Everything in America that's hitting everybody else is hitting them. Finances are really, really, really tough. And they've had to make some really hard decisions. And my dad is just calling me. And it's neat to be at that place in life where my dad is calling me as a friend now. He didn't need advice. I don't know that I had any advice to give him, to be honest. He just needed somebody to pour out to. 
He was spending hours and hours and hours. Now, my dad is in his mid-70s. He still owns his own business. He still works a lot. And he's an elder in his church, and he's carrying this significant weight. There were times he'd call me or text me, like, just pray for me today. They'd be in another four or six, eight-hour meeting over and over and over and over, fighting to turn this thing around to save it. And in the middle of that, the church where he leads as an elder, they had a need in middle school ministry, and nobody would step up to fill the need. And my dad said, I'll do it. And I said, Dad, I love you. Are you sure? Like, you're not a spring chicken anymore. And he's like, Matt, nobody else will step up. I'm like, Dad, okay, look, I have middle school kids. They are going to eat you alive. Like, you don't understand. They're going to say things like sus and no cap. And see, some of you are looking at me like I have two heads. That's what happens when my kids say stuff like this. I'm like, I don't even know what those words mean. I got to go Google what my kids are saying because they have all these weird phrases. Like, Dad, you're not going to get them. He's like, Matt, nobody else will do it. What am I supposed to do? Nothing. So my dad just started showing up and teaching Sunday school to a bunch of middle school kids. And uh, he would do these silly things. Like, he knows a guy who owns a mini horse farm. So he would just schedule a day out with a mini horse farm. There's another kid at a birthday. He found out about it, so he threw a birthday party. He just kept showing up. That's all the setup to this. So just recently, I was on the phone with my mom like a couple weekends ago, and uh, she offered to buy us lunch. That's always a good Saturday. I love it when she buys us lunch. And, uh, and she said, just put it on my credit card. I said, great, not a problem. Thank you. And I noticed she hadn't bought us lunch in a few weeks. My mom almost always once a week buys us lunch. So we got to talking while we were in the car, and uh, it turns out business has been really, really hard and really, really slow. And finances have been really, really tight. And my dad thought he had a business deal that was going to close, and it didn't close. And so he was really anxious. And then one day he gets a phone call from one of the grandparents of one of the kids in the middle school class. And they want to do a deal with him that's going to pay the bills for the business, not for days or weeks, but for months. And I'm driving down the road with my kids in the car. My wife's not with us. And I've got Grammy on speakerphone. And I'm like in tears because I'm trying to hold back my joy because my dad stepped into it. He was resourceless. And God keeps showing up and using it. See, when you bring God your fish and your loaves, whatever it is you've got, it's always enough. And then God has this way of replenishing the fish and loaves, right? Because at the end of that story, as we know, there's basketfuls left over. And so whatever the fear, whatever the anxiety, whatever the concern is in your mind, I just want you to cast it away. Throw it into the wind. Speaking of throwing it into the wind, there's this point where Jesus is trying to teach the disciples, and he says this, did you know the wind blows wherever it pleases? You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. It's like a sermon. And so it is. With everyone born of the Spirit. When you have the Spirit of God in you, there is this mystery about it. You know that funny thing about the wind, any golfers in here, right? And you step up to hit your shot, and so you pick up some grass and you throw it up so the wind can blow it. And you go, okay, the wind just kind of has a left turn or a right turn to it. And then you step up to hit your ball, and all of a sudden the wind completely changes directions, and all that information is irrelevant. That's my excuse for every bad shot I've ever had, which is pretty much every shot I've ever had. But the point is when you step in line with God, your life may go right and then suddenly go left and then go straight. It may go backward. It's rarely a linear, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. Because you're following the spirit of God wherever he takes you, whenever he takes you. And that's okay. 
And when you feel afraid and when you feel overwhelmed and when you feel scared, I just want you to remember Mark chapter 6, verse 50. Jesus tells the disciples, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And the context of this is when he goes up on his mountain to pray, he sends them on to the water and there's a big storm and things get really hard again. And Jesus just says to them, guys, take a deep breath. I'm here. I think I just mixed up my stories, but I'm here. You got nothing to be afraid of. I am with you. So let me just leave it with this, okay? First of all, thank you for having me, church. But I don't want you to miss this last point. Are you ready to walk with Jesus? Wherever he takes you, wherever he leads you, are you willing to go? Are you ready to go? I want to say a prayer over you that God would take this plant, something in your heart, and here's my prayer, that he would encourage some of you who feel discouraged and that he would challenge some of you who feel comfortable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would stir in this place in ways that can't be fabricated through sermons and, and, and words and stories and illustrations, but can only be stirred by your spirit, by your power in us. God, I thank you for Plainfield Christian Church, the legacy that they have built in this community. They've been doing a lot of good work for a lot of years. I got to talk to some dear saints today, God. They've been working hard for you. One dear lady told me that she just, she doesn't have the strength she used to have. She doesn't have the mental sharpness that she used to have. But God, she loves you and she's here. She's here. So God, I pray for all the ladies just like her. I pray that you would stir up in them a desire to say, you know what? Maybe I can do something, something to partner with God and what he's doing in the world. I'm still here. There's still life in my body. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Maybe it's just a phone call. Maybe it's writing a check because I don't have the physical capacity to do it anymore. God, I pray for others in this room. And money is tight because of this crazy season that we're in right now as America. And they're going, I don't have dollars to write. But God, they got life in them. They got time and money and, or time and margin. I mean, they don't have money. And so God, I just pray that you'd stir in them. Maybe it's a desire to connect with this compassionate need going on here in this community, in this church, in the world. God, stir in them a desire to partner with you in what you're doing. And that God, give us every dollar we need, every resource we need, every piece of energy we need. God, let us never forget to draw near, to draw close, to drink deeply from you. And may we find that you are enough, always, always enough. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.